divine wisdom and understanding. We see that in chapter 4, 6. And they show you in a very practical and down-to-earth way how to live your lives as redeemed children here on the earth. The commandments are like a fence that keep you and your loved ones firmly grounded, safe in the protection and the treasure of God's love. Even after they were all fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the Ten Commandments continue to have a place in our life of thankfulness because they reveal to us the desire, the desires that the Holy Spirit has etched into our transformed hearts. In the next several weeks, we will look at each commandment, and we will do so from three different angles. So the, the points each week will be somewhat similar. The first angle, we'll see what God wants for us. When he gave the commandment, he, he wants us to enjoy his creation. And that commandment reveals what he wants for us. In the second uh, place, we'll always look at how Jesus Christ obeyed the commandment and how he enjoyed its blessing. And then we'll also look at each commandment from the perspective of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit leads us so that we can enjoy the blessings of obedience as well. And so as we go through each commandment uh, every Sunday afternoon again for several weeks, you can be very sure that there are times when you will recognize sin in your life. That's what the light of the law does. It exposes who we are uh, expression is warts and all, or sins and all. And for this reason, as we reflect on the Ten Commandments, it's important to always place the commandments of, the, of God in the context of the preface. That's that introduction, the beginning words. In that preface, God makes it clear that our salvation and His love do not depend on our obedience. When he adopted us, he knew very well that we were sinners. And so the law only shows us the sins that God already knew were in our hearts when he decided to deliver us. And so we never need to despair or to imagine that God will reject us forever because of our rebellion, because of sins that we have committed against same time, when we see God's grace to us, his desire to, to walk with us, to, to be our father, and then we see the sins that we commit and how they hinder that relationship, it also makes us want to fight against sin in our lives. We want to fight against anything that hinders a good relationship with our covenant God, just like you can see sometimes in your own relationship how lies or, or anger in family relationships, they, they can create a coldness or an emotional separation. So when we persist in sins, it makes it difficult for us to fully experience the, the love and the grace of God. And so the preface reminds us that it is always a good thing to continue to fight against the sins in our lives, even though we know they are paid for by Christ's sacrifice, and those sins cannot hinder our salvation. And what a blessing it is, then, that the Holy Spirit has 
written the law in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ in order that we may have that relationship with God strengthened evermore. And today, then, we begin the meditation on the law of the Lord with the first commandment and that theme. I guess it's been displayed for a while already. The theme, then, is in the first commandment. The Lord reveals that he is the one true God. And we'll see, then, what the Lord wants, how Jesus obeyed that, what the Lord wants, and then how the Holy Spirit helps us to do that, too. The Lord wants his children to turn to him only. You see, the Lord is very gracious because he revealed himself to us. Although we read in Deuteronomy 4 there was no form, his majestic power was seen in the signs that accompanied his thundering voice that spoke from the mountain. And even as he, in a powerful way, he delivered his people from the land of slavery. In the preface, so those are the beginning words of the Ten Commandments, the one true God told his people that he was their God, their Lord, that he remembered his covenant promises, that he set them free from slavery and bondage to others. The description in that preface helps us then to know who it is that we are turning to. He is a God who knows his people by name. He is a God who cares about his people. He is gracious toward us. He is powerful to also separate his people from their enemies. The flip side of the preface, which talks about God's deliverance of Israel from the slavery of Egypt, is the fact that God also punished his enemies who opposed him as the one true God because they wanted to worship other gods, gods of their imaginations. The land of Egypt that was lying in desolate ruins when Israel left, that stands as a constant reminder of what is left for those who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And we see how gracious God is to give us the first commandment in which he reveals that he is the one, the only, the true God. But for us who believe, who turn to him in trust for all we need, that first commandment is the difference between having the almighty God as your enemy, that fire that consumes and destroys or having the Almighty God as your loving, protective Father. And the passage we read in Deuteronomy 4 shows how the Lord God of the covenant is unique and why it's such a blessing to always turn to Him. The question is asked in verses uh, 7 to 8, if any object of pagan worship is so near to its worshipers as our God is near to us. Is there any other place you can find such wisdom that when people see it, they go, that is, that fits. That's exactly how we are. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 32, even challenges people, challenges the world to do a search since the time when God created man on the earth to see if there is anyone, any person, any so-called 
divinity whose description can even come close to the God we worship who revealed himself to us in his word. Deuteronomy 4, verses 33 to 34, they make clear exactly what we read when we walked into church. It was displayed here on the wall. The Lord is God. There is no other besides him as creator of heaven and earth. His sovereign plan is carried out so that he determines everything in every time and in every situation. When we looked at the first commandment last time, we looked at that in Acts 17, that speech for, uh, on, on, on Athens, in, in the city of Athens that Paul gave. God is in control of everything. He's sovereign. And he does that so that we might glorify him. Whatever he wills will happen. Whatever will come to pass. If he is protecting you, you will be protected. If you are in his plan, you can know that he has a wise purpose for everything that happens to you. He is the overflowing fountain of all good. That's how we begin our confession, the Belgic Confession, as we describe this God we worship, the overflowing fountain of all good. That means only he can satisfy you. In the first commandment, the Lord wants you to see that. He, he, he makes it clear that he wants to embrace you and for you to embrace what you already have in him as creator, to, to turn your eyes to him, to love and to trust him. And when the Lord gave us the first commandment, he saves us from wasting a lot of time, wasting a lot of our life, chasing, chasing after the, the wind or the futile pursuit of trying to find satisfaction in anything else outside of him. The first commandment is a constant reminder that it is futile to expect that your husband or your wife or your children or your parents, that they can make you content with your life. It makes it very clear that you cannot find that full and true satisfaction just by working really hard and, and getting enough stuff and making enough money. He is the only source of contentment and satisfaction. He's also the only source of answers to explain how to deal with life. And so as a confession also says, if whether you try to, to seek guidance maybe from witchcraft that mentions superstitions or we can add in like turning to the scholarly textbooks and theories of those who refuse to acknowledge God, you, you won't find answers in any of those things. God is the only source, the answers for this life. Since God is the only true God, there is no other source of help, no other source of true and lasting comfort. All the prayers of other religions, all the prayers to saints or other creatures we confess, they're a waste of words. During his vision on the island to Patmos, even the Apostle John had to, be, had to learn that. He was rebuked because he, he fell on his face to worship an angel. 
And the angel was very clear. He rebuked John. He commanded him. He said, worship God. He's the only object of our worship. He's the only true God. And the Lord Jesus showed us what this looks like. We see that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, turned to him, and he did this for us and in our place. You see, once again, when the law, the law is proclaimed like a light, it exposes our own sins and weaknesses, how we often turn away from God, try to find our satisfaction in other places. And when that happens, and, and when we compare what God wants for his creatures, for us, and we compare that with what we have done, or even maybe what we do, when we reflect on how our own rebellion has, has messed up a lot of things for us with God, it's a great comfort to stop and to meditate on the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's what we proclaim in this church, the obedience of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ told us that he came to fulfill all righteousness. He came to obey the first commandment. Paul says that we who believe in Jesus Christ may count his righteousness as our own. Think about that. Since God counts Christ's obedience as our obedience, when we look to Jesus' life, we can observe how God sees us who believe in him. That's what we look like to God. That's why it's such a delight, a joy to study the Gospels and see how perfectly and fully Jesus Christ obeyed the commandments. And today, we can only look at a few ways in which Jesus exemplified obedience to the first commandment. I hope that as you continue to study God's Word, you will find many more examples to add to the list where you say, that's another way that the Lord Jesus obeyed the first commandment, and he did that for me and in my place. The first place you can see already is when Jesus was a child. It's Luke 2, verses 46 to, to 51. He was brought to the temple just as a young child. And at this time, the Lord Jesus showed that he believed that the covenant God was the one true God, the only God. And the amazement of the Jewish leaders when they heard Jesus' questions and they, and they saw his knowledge of scriptures, it shows us that in obedience to the first commandment, Jesus was always seeking to know the one true God. And then his answers to his parents who were looking for him, it shows that he came to love his heavenly Father even above his own parents in the first place the priority that love of course led him to love his parents in obedience to the fifth commandment as well we see though the priority that he put on his heavenly father so when we are sorry for our sin of turning down opportunities to know God more whether it is because of our own laziness in our personal devotions or maybe our preference for family outings over worship time, we can find comfort in the obedience of Jesus Christ, who knew that there is nothing better to do than to grow in our knowledge of God. He obeyed for us and in our place. He shows us that it is a rich blessing to know the Lord, to love him, 
more than anything else on the earth. We can see the Lord Jesus Christ's obedience to the first commandment also in his humble submission to the will and the plan of his heavenly Father. As already prophesied in the 40th Psalm, the Lord was eager to submit his will to the will of his heavenly Father. Long before this was confirmed in his anguished prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus showed himself willing to be led by the Spirit into the suffering of the wilderness. You could see that in Luke 4, verse 1. He knew that everything he did was necessary for obedience. You can do a search for the word necessary and see how many times the Lord Jesus understood that he was submitting himself to the Lord's plan of salvation, obedience to the first commandment. He did not turn to the right or to the left, but he resolutely continued forward in God's plan because he knew that it was the only one that would bring God glory. That is what he wanted to do. So when we fight the plan and the calling of God, like Jonah did when he fled to Tarshish, or when we embrace worldly wealth and entertainment because we are afraid of that personal cost of following Jesus Christ to eternal life, when we are saddened by our weakness, when we are afraid that God might be ashamed to call us his children anymore, we can look to Jesus' obedience and we can find comfort. When we confess our sins, when we believe in Jesus Christ, the gospel is that God will render that obedience that we can see and read about in the gospels to our own account and he will not count our disobedience against us. What a comfort it is to see that the Lord Jesus perfectly obeyed the first commandment. He trusted in God's wisdom. He never failed to submit to him in all humility and submission and patience. So what was the Lord Jesus thinking as he did all this? He shows that he knew that he had chosen the best possible way of living when he explained to the church in his teaching and in his parables that they never have to worry about tomorrow. He showed that those who keep the first commandment can look to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, that's in Matthew 6, and they can trust that their heavenly Father will take even better care of you then he does those birds and those flowers. The Lord Jesus explained that when we turn to God with all our heart, we know that we can trust him even more than we can trust our earthly fathers, and they know how to give good gifts. That's in Luke 11. Jesus Christ's teaching reveals what's in his heart. It shows the attitude of those who, who submit to God, obey the first commandment it permeated his understanding of all things. And so after he taught us to look for our treasure in heaven, that's Matthew 6, not to be fooled by the promise of peace and the wealth that we may store up on earth. He told that parable of the rich fool in, in Luke 12. 
the Lord Jesus himself, while dying on the cross, he committed his spirit into the hands of his heavenly Father. When we have trouble leaving the frenetic worldly search for more comfort or fame or success, when we realize that we have offended God by living as if he was not there offering eternal life and true fulfillment, when we turn away from him in our anxiety so that he is dishonored, well, we can look to Jesus Christ and we can be comforted by the different, the perfect way that he lived in his relationship to the Lord his God. His obedience is our obedience. When we repent of our sins and let go of our own solutions and, and throw ourselves on him in humble dependence, we will find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Jesus told us, he said at the end of his life, he said, it is finished. He obeyed the first commandment for us and in our place. We can see it in the Gospels. And when we see it, it, it makes us breathe a, a sigh of relief. This isn't just a bunch of words. It's true. It really happened. God will not hold our sins against the first commandment against us anymore, any sins against us. God will not demand our obedience to the commandments as a condition of our salvation because Christ obeyed for us and in our place. We are saved apart from our works, whether good or bad, because God counts Christ's righteousness as our own. And the scripture says, if this wasn't enough, the scripture said, God also receives you into his favor by once again giving you his spirit. And that spirit dwells in our hearts as believers so that we begin to desire now to obey the first commandment and even take steps in that direction. The Holy Spirit helps us want to turn to him too. It helps uh, the Holy Spirit, he helps us to understand that the first commandment is fundamental to our whole relationship with our triune God. That first commandment stands as a fence or a border between all the riches that we have in God and all the suffering and the futility and the punishment that lies outside of God. If you don't know, if we don't know God as the Almighty One, who is to be praised forever and ever. The first commandment stands as a warning. There really is nothing left for you, for us, for people like that, except for eternity, futility, despair, and punishment. That first commandment is the game changer. It has to be obeyed in order to, to begin to please God through obedience to the other commandment. It's, it's the act of, of receiving God as the only God. That means that any sin we commit is first of all a sin against the first commandment. That true repentance and true conversion also begins with the desire 
to obey the first commandment, to, to glorify God with all our being. And that's the desire that the Holy Spirit gives to those who believe in Jesus Christ. We do not want to have any other gods before him. And one common characteristic of those who are coming to know the only true God as he has revealed himself in his word is that they trust that God is wise, that God knows best. Rather than fall into bitter resentment for hardships in their lives, they see the hand of God even in sickness. They praise him for his faithfulness to his promises. Such submission, such humility, such patience is impossible for those who don't even believe that there is a God. But those with the law written on their hearts by the Holy Spirit will be able not only to believe that he exists as sovereign king, but also will be able to see him as a loving father who leans over us like a, a father might lean over a baby in a crib, who places his hand under us in difficult times as a father may do to the toddler who's still learning to walk, who holds our hand and walks beside us as a father may walk beside a, a, an older child or a friend. He is a father who's with us in difficult times, but our father also is able to prepare us for things that we don't even see coming. He knows all things. He is all-powerful. And so the Spirit leads us in this blessing of obedience so we can be comforted in life and in death. And even in hardship, and, and it often happens as Christians, we sing that in times of hardship and sorrow, we can sing, it is well with my soul. It's a blessing to know the one true God, to trust in him to expect all good from him only. It's also what we confess, but that's not as easy as it seems because we're continually bombarded with advertisements from the world that are trying to dictate to us what good is. So we're being told by those who do not know the sovereign creator that restrictions are not good. Old things, things that are past, they're to be avoided. Sickness and suffering, well, they're never good. The thought of living differently than others, forsaking all creatures in order to obey God's word, that's specifically offensive to those who pretend to be living the good life. So thanks be to the Holy Spirit who continually directs our eyes to God's revelation in the Bible and shows us that the good that God gives us is his continual presence with us. Good is not freedom from all hardships or freedom from all limitations or freedom from all uncomfortable situations, but good is walking with an almighty God who knows all things, who knows the future, and who will never leave us or forsake us. 
the Spirit in our hearts leads us to commit our lives to the Heavenly Father, to receive everything that He places in our lives with, with thankfulness because we know, we believe that it is good because the Lord is with us. Situations. Verse 1 says to look to Christ. Psalm 27 urges us to meditate on the beauty of the Lord. That's what the first commandment will have us do. Meditate on the beauty of the Lord in all circumstances of life. And so the gospel we preach when babies are born and baptized, when people get married, or when loved ones are buried, it's always the same. The Lord is with us. He is wise. He is the one true God. Turn to Him and you experience the fullness of true comfort and true satisfaction. May you find all delight, all the joy that is yours in Jesus Christ as you live your life in close fellowship with the loving Father who announced his unconditional love in the preface to the Ten Commandments. Amen.